Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? Well, I think about uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, comments in Philippians. He said, it's no problem for me to stir you up by way of reminder. And every the beginning of every lesson, I remind you of the same three things that Barah Ministry stands for, which is Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and awareness of the strategy of the enemy. And so, why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? The Father provides a place for you to get to know His Son, the Lord, Jesus Christ, the one who has authority over all things, including all the governments of the earth, according to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. And there's no reason for you to worry about what the government is doing because Jesus Christ controls history and nothing on earth happens without his permission. The Apostle John describes the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 to 7. He says this, Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn, resurrected from the dead, and the ruler of of the kings of the earth. He's the one who loves us unconditionally and who released us from our sins by his blood. Revelation 1.6 And he has made us church-age believers to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1.7 Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will beat their breasts in anguish because of him. So it is to be. Amen. God the Father created Barah Ministries to give you a place to learn the word of God, the Bible, the absolute truth. In one of his final prayers on earth, Jesus made a request of his Father on your behalf. John chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. They say this, Those who believe in me are not citizens of the world, even as I am not a citizen of the world. John 17, 17. Set those who believe in me apart in a sphere of truth. That's the word sanctification. You are, as believers in Christ, set apart for a set of privileges that stagger the imagination. Your word is truth. And so we study the word because the word is truth. 
God the Father answered the Lord's Prayer by giving us the Word of God to cleanse us from the poisonous propaganda of Satan's kingdom. God the Father not only gave us the Word of Truth, He also gave us His Son, who is the truth, and He gave us God the Holy Spirit, who leads us into all the truth. And that's quite a sphere of protection and provision from our loving God. God the Father created Barah Ministries, so you'd have a place to learn about the strategy of God's enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. And I was just thinking that I wonder if you listen to the lessons of some of the megachurches. I wonder if there's ever a mention of Satan. And if there's not, what comes to mind is what Chinji Bing Fa, also known as Sun Tzu, said in The Art of War. He said, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know only yourself and not your enemy, for every victory you gain, you'll sustain a defeat. And if you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you'll succumb in every battle. Isn't that pretty, pretty much what describes most of the world, that they don't know themselves because they don't study the Word of God, and they don't know the enemy because they don't study the Word of God, and so therefore they're pretty vulnerable. And that is not the situation for those who study with Barah Ministries. So Satan wants us to think that we can be Christ-like. He wants his dream to be our dream. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, he says, I, Satan, will make myself, that's the funny part, I will make myself like the Most High. Good luck with that program, pal. Satan thinks he can be like God. Satan thinks he doesn't need God. And he wants us to think that depending on God is a crutch. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says this, Unbelievers, the ones who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness, exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature, Satan, rather than serving the creator who created both the creature and them, he who is the blessed one forever. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Depending on self is depending on Satan, but he is an unworthy leader. Don't buy into his rebellion against God with sin. Don't follow him. Depend on the one who created you. Today's Bible lesson, religious denominations are an attack against the Lord. Religious denominations are an attack against the Lord. You've probably heard the word oxymoron in the course of your life, and I've always thought it's better to be an oxymoron than a regular moron. But an oxymoron is a contradiction in terms. For example, the sounds of silence. Obviously, silence doesn't have a sound. Jumbo shrimp, passive-aggressive, the living dead, big baby. There are many oxymorons, but the worst of those oxymorons is Christian religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And religion, the strategy of God's enemy, Satan, inflicts on the human race, the religion, the strategy of God's enemy that Satan inflicts on the human race, seeks to drag Christianity into itself 
to pervert Christianity by calling Christianity a religion. It is not a religion. One of the things that people say anytime they're hearing about Jesus Christ, oh, I'm not religious, to which a Christian would say, congratulations, that's beautiful, it's brilliant, because as a Christian, I'm not religious either. And, you know, it's so funny that the people that I know who are part of religions consider themselves Christians, yet if you ask them what they are, oh, I'm Pentecostal, oh, I'm Catholic, oh, I'm Baptist, oh, I'm a Mormon. Okay, well, if you're a Christian, then why are you calling yourself by these other names? I don't get it. Well, in today's lesson, we'll learn the reason for the many denominations so that we can be clear on the difference between denominations and Christianity. People always ask me, well, what kind of church? You you say, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? You know, you see their body recoiling. Oh, oh." and then they say, well, what kind of church is it? I say, it's a Christian church. Well, like like what, non-denominational? No, Christian. In addition, today we'll examine a religion to see how they counterfeit the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, and the gospel message. Well, let's hear some music. Religion may be confusing, but God is not confusing. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says this, God is not a God of confusion. God offers a single way to do everything because God is perfect, and he knows what works perfectly, so there's no need for multiple approaches to things. Here's June Murphy to tell us the truth about our God. There's just one hope.
June always teases me that her her mansion in heaven is going to be next door to mine. And, you know, I definitely don't want that. But <laughs> but if it does happen, can you imagine that I'll never get any sleep. She'll be singing over in her mansion and I'll have to hear that for all eternity. I wonder if you can shoot your I wonder if you can shoot yourself in the head in heaven. Uh, I. No, that's right. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more singing, no more any of that. (laughs) Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you for the part of your plan that is designed to get the truth to religious unbelievers who are deceived by their religion. Thank you for orchestrating the possibility of salvation for them by bringing them resources that can help them choose to leave the religion and instead to have the freedom of a relationship with your son. Thank you for using me as a mouthpiece for your truth that can assist those who are interested in making the most important decisions of their lives. Open our minds to the truth, Father. Give us the spiritual discernment and the spiritual eyes and the spiritual ears to know the difference between true teachers and false teachers. Help us to realize that despite the teachers we have, we are responsible for our own spiritual decisions. Lead us to the right decision. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Religious Denominations are an attack against the Lord. 
So we continue our study of Paul's letter to the first century Colossian believers. The letter is a warning to these new believers in a home-based church about false teachers and false teaching. Whenever new churches form, Satan, the enemy of God, always sends in his emissaries to pervert the church with attacks. And the attacks come against the sufficiency and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The attacks come against the word of God. The attacks come against the gospel message. You know what's funny? I was thinking that when I invite people to church, there's always something that comes up to prevents them to go to go to church. But if I invite them to lunch or dinner, they always seem to make it. Does that seem at all unusual to you? That any time you want people to come to the truth, there's always some sabotage that comes in that makes that not possible. Oh, it's too far to drive. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But if you invite them to the same location for lunch or dinner, then all of a sudden it's not too far to drive, especially if you're paying. So the... That's one of the things that's confounding about being a pastor because we have a compassionate heart for people and their spiritual life, which is the most important part of their lives. I liken it to the solar system. You know, we have 10 relationships in our lives, and the spiritual life is the sun. It's at the center of our lives, and it's what provides the the life and the heat for all the other planets. But we pay a lot more attention to Pluto than we do to the sun. Well, we've paused at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, and before we finish the letter, and we'll, we'll start the conclusion of the letter next week, we wanted to offer you present-day examples of false teachers and false teaching, and the easy target is religion. Religion is a great place to start. Religion is Satan's strategy against the human race, and it is his greatest deception. And last week, we looked at the deception called Roman Catholicism and the deception called Jehovah's Witnesses. And today, we'll look at the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, also known as LDS and Mormons. Isn't it interesting? Their religions not only drag Christianity into it, but they drag Jesus Christ into it. Isn't it funny that religion can't stand on its own? Their religion is always dragging the truth of the word of God into them for legitimacy and then uses uh, the word of God and perverts it. So let's make one thing clear. I am neither condemning these institutions nor am I condemning the people in them. But that's what will always be said when you tell the truth. The truth will come out and you say, well, you're throwing me under the bus. You're bagging on me. You're condemning me. No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. And unfortunately, when I tell you the truth, you have the the right, because you have will, to accept or reject it. But it's certainly easier for you to point your finger at somebody else than it is to take the responsibility on yourself, that I have heard the truth. And now I have a decision to make. I have a decision to make for the truth or a decision to make against the truth. And no decision is a decision. No decision is a decision against the truth. So I am not into condemning 
institutions or people because I don't have to. God does that. I have a great deal of compassion for anyone who is deceived by anything, including myself. No one likes to be lied to, and certainly I don't. But I owe it to you as a pastor, and I owe it to everyone who comes to these messages to tell you the truth so that you can examine it for yourselves and so you can make up your own mind about what you think is true. You and you alone are responsible for the teaching you accept and internalize. Because here's the truth. All of us have teachers, and none of us came here knowing a thing. And you are responsible for the teaching you live by, and you live by teaching. You have adopted things in the course of your lifetime that you use to run your life, and you have got to examine whether or not those things are valuable or whether they're not. And when I say you've got to do that, you really don't. You don't have to do it. For example, you can be financially incompetent. And you don't have to change that. Because being financially incompetent is the easy thing to do. Getting a bunch of credit cards, running up bills on the credit card, spending money you don't have on the credit card, and paying $35 late fees every month and 27.9% interest. You don't... Yeah, you, you don't have to grow. You don't have to learn. And most people don't. So when I say you gotta, you don't gotta. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. But it's smart to be a learner in this life because you will continually need more and more education to deal with the complexities of our world. So... If you get fooled by a car salesperson, it's no big deal. But if you get duped about God, it is a huge deal. And I want your eyes to be opened to the subtlety of the falsehoods that false teachers promote with their false teaching. The Apostle Paul had the exact same responsibility. Religions provide homes for false teachers and false teaching. They offer religious rules, rituals, and man-made traditions that distort the word of God in an attempt to rob you of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that can save you. All religions. I don't think you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. All religions suggest works-based self-righteousness to make you a better person or to allow you to earn your way to heaven. They claim if you do good deeds, and if you stop sinning, that God will let you into heaven. And the word of God says an exact opposite thing. Religion is spiritual and mental bondage. I'll never forget when I finally figured out that Romans 6.14 is true, that Sin will no longer be a sovereign over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. It's not about sin. Christianity is not about sin. Christianity is not about the law. Christianity is about grace. And what does that mean? It means that God has nothing against you. It means God loves you unconditionally. You know how hard that is to accept? It's so hard to accept that God loves us unconditionally He does not hold one thing against us. 
He forgives us totally for every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. Hard to wrap your head around that because you don't know anybody who treats you that way. Amen? You don't know anybody that treats you that way. But God thinks of you that way. He's omnipresent, so he's with you all the time. And so I was part of a religion for 21 years. And you want to talk about mental bondage. The whole message of Roman Catholicism was if you don't stop sinning and you have a mortal sin on your soul when you die, you're going to hell. But I couldn't stop sinning. Well, that's brutal. That's mental bondage. It's like being beaten every day when you think that God is sitting up in heaven with a computer counting up all your sins against you. He doesn't have time to waste doing that. That's why he forgave. That's what the power is of forgiveness. When you don't make anybody owe you anything, then it's completely freeing. But when you have a rough relationship with somebody and you're thinking, oh, well, when they just do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to like them again. You're lying. Because as soon as they do X, Y, and Z, you're going to create A, B, and C, and they're going to have to do that. And when they do that, you're going to make D, E, and F, and you're going to just keep making these little rules that legalistic people, I wanted to use another word, I didn't, I held my tongue, but, you know, it, it, it's just another thing that people who aren't forgiving use to be in bondage themselves and to put you into some kind of mental bondage. And I remember when I made that transition to grace, it felt like all of the garbage had been taken out. And it, it's kind of disconcerting when that happens because you've been so used your whole life to taking the garbage out. So I was part of a cult for another 29 years. And regularly when I'm browsing Facebook, I see people who are still in that cult parroting the words of their false teachers. And if you attack what they're saying and bring scripture to it, they have a perfect explanation why scripture is wrong and why they're right. And they're not even willing to consider getting out of that bondage. And that's the funny thing about slaves. Slaves want to be slaves. When Lincoln freed the slaves in 1863, the slaves were wondering, what am I going to do now that I'm free? But freedom is amazing. So by teaching you how to detect counterfeits, I'm not being mean, even though I have a mean streak. Twice, God helped me escape the bondage of religion. So my question for you is, are you in bondage to religion? Are you in bondage to what your parents taught you? Because parents can be wrong. And, you know, what I was taught, you always hear people, well, what I was taught, like all the stuff that they learned in childhood was so right that there's no way that they could ever change it. Do you want to be free? You know, our parents were wrong about some things. That was one of the things that was most difficult for me as a human being uh, after my mom died, realizing I, I was mad at my mom for three years after she died. I didn't get mad at her while she was alive, but after she died, I was mad at her for three years because I started realizing all the things that 
were part of our lives that just weren't true. Now, I don't think that it is a good use of your time to be mad at your parents. Because if you are, then you don't really understand that your parents are human beings. They are human beings. So it's a waste of time to be mad at them as if you somehow know how they should have acted in their circumstances. Parents do the best they can, even when the best they can isn't really good. But it's just funny that we are so tied to what happened when we were kids as if now that we're adults, we don't have the ability to make our own decisions. So if you want to be free, last week's lesson and this week's lesson may provide some insight. So to remind you, three questions help you know whether teaching is false about Jesus, about the Word of God, and about the gospel message of salvation. And those three questions are, what is the disi- who does the discipline say that Jesus Christ is? What is the discipline's source of truth? And what does the discipline say that it takes to be saved? If you answer those questions, you're in really good shape. If you go deeper than that, you're going to be tired. Because you you, you're going to be the little kid in the room full of manure immersing yourself in manure, hoping there's a pony in there. There's no pony in there. Religion doesn't have any ponies. Well, the Bible is the absolute truth. So here's the deal. The correct answers to those three questions. Jesus Christ is God. The Bible is the absolute truth. And being saved is by grace, God's grace, and not works. Well, every religion has doctrine. This is the key point for you to know. And this is a key point that most people completely ignore. Every religion has doctrine. They have doctrinal statements. They publish what they believe. And typically, when the doctrines are published, you have access to them and you can read them. And I guarantee you, most people in a religion, first of all, don't know that the religion has doctrines. And second, don't know if the doctrines are published. And then third, they don't read the, the doctrines. And it's very similar to what I said about visa. When you have a visa, you sign a contract. Have you ever read the contract? I bet you didn't. I bet you just said agree. When Apple changes the software and they send you a message and they say agree or disagree, you agree. But do you read what, the, what they said? Okay, we now have the right to violate your privacy. Agree? And we just hit agree without reading it. And that's what people in religions do. But by examining the doctrines of your religion and comparing them to the Bible and making an assessment, you can surface the truth if you want to know it. Now, here at Barah Ministries, we believe that the truth is the Bible is the inerrant canon of Scripture, that there are no errors, no contradictions. We believe it is the exact thinking of the Lord. If you don't believe that, then you better check, because your beliefs are only valuable to the degree that they match the exact truth. 
The Bible, along with God, the Holy Spirit's guidance, is the way everyone who has escaped from religion's poisonous grasp has been freed from bondage. I have watched hundreds of programs about people who were in a religion and escaped it. And the one thing you will hear every single time is, I was in this religion, and then I started reading the Bible, not even studying it, just reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, I saw a whole different picture. Amen. That's exactly what happens. So let's get started with today's insight, because everyone who has escaped a, the, the poisonous grasp of religion and has been freed from bondage, looked at the doctrines of their religion and compared them to the Bible. All right, so the spiritual life has language. And one of the terms is denominations. What is a denomination? The Oxford Dictionary says that a denomination is a recognized autonomous branch of the Christian church. False. Christianity doesn't have any branches. It's just Christianity. Yet there are more than 200 Christian denominations in the United States and up to 45,000 Christian denominations globally, according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. Global Christianity, there's another oxymoron. Global Christianity. All, uh, now let's, let's fold Christianity into the global agenda, the one world government agenda. That's false. God works in ones. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6 say this. There is one body of Christ. That's the church age believers. That's us. And there is one God, the Holy Spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Ephesians 4, 5. There is one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one faith, Christianity. There is one baptism, the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, not the baptism of immersion into water as if you being dunked in a swimming pool is somehow going to make you spiritual. Ephesians 4, 6, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and indwelling all. So when people ask me if Barah Ministries is a non-denominational uh, church, I say no. Because we're not. We're a Christian church. Because denominations don't exist in my mind. They're just a distortion. At the center of Christianity is Christ. It, listen to the word. Christianity. Christianity. At the center of every religion is a person who borrowed the truths of Christianity, perverted them to his own purposes, and then influenced the gullible with his false teaching who's at the head of the Jehovah's Witnesses, Russell, who's at the head of Calvinism, John Calvin, who's at the head of Roman Catholicism, the Pope. These are people. They're not God. But who's at the head of Christianity? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe. And so can that, can that, can that coexist? Can you have Christianity and then Jehovah's Witnesses together? Did, did Russell and Christ collaborate 
to make the religion? They didn't. So the Apostle Paul, you know, what, what most people call it when you influence the gullible with perversion of teaching is called brainwashing. And to an extent, all teaching is brainwashing because what teaching is doing is offering you something to adopt. Well, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossian church is a warning not to be deceived by false teachers and false teaching. Billions of people in the world are deceived by religion. In fact, I would estimate that two-thirds of the people in the world are influenced by false teachers and false teaching. I would estimate that two-thirds of the people in the world are unbelievers. They reject a relationship with Christ. And I think I'm being generous by saying that because I think... It's even broader than that. And it's really sad. And some of, the, some of the people that I think about that are just some of the most wonderful people in the world pay absolutely no attention and give absolutely no time to their spiritual lives. These are well-meaning people, a lot of whom have a zeal for God, but who get caught up in the cunning trickery of religion. And I can talk. Because for 50 years, I was caught up in the cunning trickery of religion. I knew some truth. I was a believer in Christ. I started as a believer in Christ when I was eight years old, but wandered into the deception of religion for a 50-year period of time. And there was a lot of stuff in my soul that was truth, but there was a lot of stuff in my soul that was absolute crap, absolute garbage, and I am absolutely certain from talking to the people here in Barah Ministries that the same was their experience. People are lured away from the freedom of being in a relationship with Christ into the slavery of you got to do this or you can't be saved. It's pathetic. All right, so let's examine the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, also known as LDS, and also known as Mormons, and Mormons means devil, and that's completely appropriate. According to Ed Decker and Dave Hunt in their book, The Godmakers, a very interesting read and an even more intriguing YouTube video that I highly recommend that you watch. It's an hour, but I recommend even more than that that you read the book. The Mormons are a Satan-worshipping cult at the highest levels with a friendly family face at the lower levels. Ed Decker and Dave Hunt were Mormons who advanced to the upper levels of Mormonism and found out that it was a satanic cult. And they exited, and now they are evangelists to Mormons to get them to come out of the church. Before we answer the three questions about them, though, their story is worth hearing. Although Mormons profess to believe the word of God and claim they are Christians, they are not, once again, Christian, Mormon. They're not the same. Many of their teachings contradict Christianity and reject biblical truths. No way you're going to know that unless you study the Bible 
and compare it to Mormon doctrines. Those who reject or pervert the truths about Jesus, about the Word of God, and about the gospel message of salvation are not Christians. And that is exactly what the Mormons do. Joseph Smith, who referred to himself as the prophet, founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the mid-1800s. He claimed to have seen a vision of God the Father and God the Son in which they denounced modern Christianity and appointed Smith to reveal and restore true Christianity. Okay, let's get this straight. The omnipotent God the Father, God the Father who has all the power, the omnipotent Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, went to a man in upstate New York and asked him to restore their church. And there's a picture in uh, Mormon documents of God the Father and Jesus Christ standing before uh, Joseph Smith, who looks like he's sitting on a throne, and asking him to restore their church. That is the most ridiculous thing that I have ever heard, yet why would something this far-fetched captivate the loyalty of 17 million people worldwide? That's what makes me think as a pastor, I'm just doing this all wrong. I just think telling the truth is the worst. Because if you want an audience, all you have to do is lie to them. All you have to do is put them under some kind of mental bondage or mental slavery, and they will follow you anywhere. Well, three years later, Smith alleged the angel Moroni, whoever that is, told him about some golden plates on which the Book of Mormon was written. And despite Smith's questionable background and tendency toward perverting the truth, many believed him and a new religion was born. The Book of Mormon is an extra-biblical work, meaning it is not inside the Bible. Described as a new revelation, that is another witness to the truth of the Bible. What that's saying is that the perfect Bible needs some kind of addition. We know that that's false because perfection needs no addition. That's legalism. Yet the book has many, and and in addition to that, the book has many theological conflicts with the Bible and with historical and archaeological facts. What that means is it does not pass the test of canonicity. For example, Joseph Smith and his associates asserted Uh, that Professor Charles Anthon of Columbia University verified the Egyptian characters on the golden plates. This same professor wrote a rebuttal letter soon after saying he found the characters to be a hoax. Mormonism is a hoax. And if you don't know what a hoax is, it's a practical joke that's played on the public. Many verses in Mormon scriptures have been changed over the years as the church leaders defend themselves against criticism. And one of the primary criticisms is Mormonism is not Christianity. And they want us to believe that Mormonism is Christianity. Well, the facts I've just shared with you are enough to cast doubt on the veracity of the Book of Mormon. One of the many areas in which Mormons fall short of saving faith is their belief that God the Father is merely an exalted man who earned his position by good works. This directly contradicts what the Bible says, 
which states that God the Father has always existed as the omnipresent, omniscient, um, omniscient, omnipresent, was omnipotent. <laughs> there was too many omnis. But the omniscient, omnipresent, and omniscient one. Did I get the, did I get the three? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. There we go. Just slow down, Rory. Calm down. Mormons believe that they can attain the status of gods in the afterlife through their works here on earth. And as a result of attaining God's status, they can rule planets. Yet no man can ever become like God, despite what the serpent told Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what he said. God knows that in the day you eat from the forbidden tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan lied to Eve and she bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And then she lured her husband into the deception as well. But he got the blame because he was the initiator in the relationship and he was the one that the Lord gave the instruction to about the tree. Of all the trees in the garden, you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because in the day you eat from it, dying, you will die. Dying spiritually, you will eventually die physically. Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll see how Mormonism does with the three questions you can use to debunk our religion. Take a five-minute break.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Religious Denominations are an attack against the Lord. Religious denominations are attack against the Lord. If we're being honest, giving makes us vulnerable, and being vulnerable often hurts. Here in Satan's kingdom, there's always someone to take advantage of our generosity and our vulnerability. Yet in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the Apostle Paul encourages us. He says, I, Paul, know for a fact that the sufferings of this present time, both right now and throughout the church age, which is described as this present evil age, are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that is to be revealed in us believers in Christ. Your generosity is being used to tell people throughout the world, through the courtesy of the Internet, many things. That Jesus Christ is God, that the Bible is the word of God, and the gospel message is the good news concerning how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. So thank you for your giving, which supports this distribution of truth. If you listen to Barah Ministries, please provide financial support to Barah Ministries. You can give via the app, through the website, through the internet, through the, through the mail, through regular contributions, automatically sent from your bank account, or when you're here face-to-face. Giving has never been easier, and we certainly appreciate the way that you support us. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. I'm blessed to be a deacon for this small Christian church. I think I'm a little loud there. Small Christian church with worldwide impact through our streaming because this is a place where where we encourage people. We help solve problems, and I like to say we help conquer giants in their lives because we give them the truth, the Word of God. Sometimes it scares them, but ultimately it frees them, and it gives you the, the backbone in life. And I think in this life and in this world, we can all use a lot more encouragement in our daily lives because it's real easy to not be encouraged. And I was looking at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not lose heart when habitually doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary by fainting in our souls, by quitting. In the King James, it says, if we faint not, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But ultimately, we just don't give up, you know, and there's stories in the Bible of giants. David and, and, and Goliath, he conquered a giant. But there's other giants in the Bible. There's also Daniel and the lions. He, d- he didn't lose faith, and he conquered those giants. And then you think about religion in our life. It's a huge giant that it conquers so many people. It stops so many people from seeing God, from seeing Christianity. And then you think about what Jesus did, death. His death, his propitiation, that's the giant. He conquered that. And resurrection, the ultimate giant, conquered all those things. So if he can conquer those things, what can he conquer in your life? And so when you give to Barah, you're helping people be encouraged and to, and to solve problems in their lives and to ultimately conquer the giants in their lives. And so we appreciate it. We want you to remember that it's not just about the people here, but it's about Christ. And ultimately for them to learn about Christ and have a, have a relationship with Christ. 
And so thank you for giving it the offering, and, and thank you for always supporting our pastor, and just keep pushing forward. Thank you. Today's Bible lesson, Religious Denominations are an attack against the Lord. Religious denominations are an attack against the Lord. Well, we're talking about the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, also known as LDS, also known as the Mormons. So who does this discipline say that Jesus Christ is? Mormons believe Jesus Christ was a God, but not deity. They believe it, so it's a God with a small g. They believe he is the son of God, but lesser than God the Father. And that's why I always dislike the term son of God. I don't like calling Jesus the son of God. I like calling him God the son, the Lord, who is also Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Because when you say God the Father and then you say son of God, it always makes Jesus sound lesser. And I don't like that. But, you know, the Bible has that in there somewhere. So that's just a personal foible. But they believe he's the son of God and lesser than God the Father. Mormon teaching says that Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. And in the story, uh, Elohim, the father, and, and in Mormonism, they consider Elohim to be God the Father. Elohim is actually God the Son. But they consider that Elohim had these two kids and that they appointed Jesus to be the Savior of the world and then his brother Lucifer got mad about it and went the other way. And it's just, wow. They believe that Jesus had three wives and that he fathered many children, which is completely consistent with Mormon doctrine. 
that you have multiple wives and bigamy was has been a big part of Mormonism over the years and many children has been a part of Mormonism as well. What is the discipline's source of truth? In addition to using the Bible, the Mormons have other scriptures, Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon, the Articles of Faith. Mormons are great at evangelism. By the way, having so many different scriptures, again, dilutes you from, well, I mean, which one of those do you pay attention to? There's no focus. And what, what additions to the Bible do is take the focus off of the Bible. Mormons are great at evangelism. And much better than Christians at evangelism, I might add. Have you ever noticed when you stay in a Marriott hotel that there is a Bible and the Book of Mormon in the nightstand? Mormon children go on missions, usually after high school, for two years in various parts of the world to spread the gospel of Mormonism. And they are trained and equipped to go on the missions. By the way, earlier I said that Mormon means devil. And uh, that is what that word means in Chinese. And so Mormons have always had a very difficult time evangelizing in China because when they say that they're Mormons, the Chinese connect Mormon to devil. And so that's where LDS came from. What, el what else can we call ourselves that won't expose us as devils? Gilbert, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix where I live, is probably the Mormon capital of Arizona. I always call it uh, Salt Lake City Southeast because the Mormons are centered in Salt Lake City, Utah. Seventy-five percent of the people in Utah are of the Mormon religion. And on any d given day, you can find well-dressed young men riding bicycles and going door-to-door -door to spread the word of Mormonism. And as a matter of fact, one of the funny things is you'll see these kids riding bikes <coughs> uh, two at a time. <coughs> and when you're driving and you blow your horn, they have to wave at you. And, you know, so I do that all the time, hoping that they'll fall off their bikes. And I hope that's not, I hope God's not going to damn me to hell because, <laughs> because I do that. Well, what does the discipline say it takes to be saved? Well, those who follow the Mormon faith believe they can attain heaven through works. They believe they have to prove their worthiness through their morality. They don't swear they don't drink alcohol, allegedly. And while they could, and actually, you know, this is one of the religions where alcohol is the most prevalent, but they don't drink al alcohol. Uh, they also didn't drink caffeine, didn't ingest caffeine, until the Mormon religion bought 10% of Coke. Then all of a sudden it became okay to, to ingest caffeine. <coughs> Um, by the way, uh, the Mormon religion is one of the wealthiest organizations in the United States. They rival Roman Catholicism in their wealth. And while they claim faith in Christ, <coughs> they've 
also rely on following the commandments of the Mormon church and practicing good works to earn their salvation. I had a, a really good friend. <clears throat> and we were in a meeting, a business meeting, and somehow the, the whole conversation drifted to spirituality. And this is one of the nicest, most sincere guys you'd ever want to meet. And what he said is, you know, I'm really trying my best to earn my salvation. And I talked to him afterward, and I said, you can't earn your salvation. But, you know, that was like spitting in his face. He didn't want to hear that because he was totally bought into what the Mormon religion was saying and not bought in at all to what the Bible was saying. The Bible is clear that good works can never earn heaven. And I want to repeat that so that it really sinks in. The Bible is clear that your good works could never earn salvation. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us believers in Christ, not based on deeds which we have done in works-based self-righteousness, but according to his mercy. And what is God's mercy? It's not giving us the wrath of God that sin deserves. By the washing of regeneration and through renewing, by God the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the amazing facts about Christianity is the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 authors who have orchestrated perfectly no contradiction between authors and what authors are saying. That has to be a supernatural book. There is no way that that could ever occur without supernatural means of executing it. And then to protect that book over 2,023 years, to protect that book from perversion and the repeated attempts to add to it and to pervert it, that has to be supernatural. Now, most people in the Mormon church are deceived. They know nothing of the real doctrines of their church. They don't know about all the things that really happen in their temples. Many Mormons who have discovered the lies of Mormonism have left the church and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But in the process, most of them lose their families and their marriage because the wife and the kids turn on them. Here are a few more things, and it could be the husband and the kids as well. Here are a few more things that are Mormon doctrines. They reject the Trinity, the triune Godhead, one God and three separate and distinct persons. Instead, they believe that the three separate and distinct persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are not equal, and they are not one. They believe the soul exists 
in a pre-mortal state. That is not what Christians believe. Christians believe that the soul is imputed to a physical body at one second after birth. So when does human life begin according to Christianity? It, it begins when biological life created by parents meets soul life created by God one second after physical birth. But they believe the soul exists in a pre-mortal state and that there are all these souls stored up and they have to have children to provide bodies for these souls. They want to have as many children as possible. They believe they can influence the salvation of the dead, that people can become Mormons after they die. They believe in mandatory tithing of 10% of their household income. And here at Barah Ministries, uh, Deacon Denny Goodall has recommended that we start to adopt that here as well. So, yeah, but Deacon Denny said it's 15%. So what we're going to need from all of you is your W-2s from last year so we can calculate exactly how much your contribution should be. They wear special underwear that keeps them pure, and they wear their normal underwear over the top of this special underwear. Can you, can you, even, can you even believe this? that there are these many people who do this. Uh, drinking the Kool-Aid is the understatement of the century, man. They, they didn't drink the Kool-Aid. They dived into the vat of Kool-Aid, and they're swallowing it whole. They're going to drown in the Kool-Aid. It has been alleged, and I don't know if it's true or not, that the Mormons are a spinoff from the Freemasons, another satanic cult. And many of the founding fathers of the United States were Freemasons. George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, presidents, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Gerald Ford, Winston Churchill, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Duke Ellington, one of the great musicians of all time, Nat King Cole. How could he be a Freemason and sing that beautiful Christmas album with all the songs about Christ? Henry Ford astronaut Buzz Aldrin among them. And this is the thing. Amazing people can be deceived. And this is what makes me sick at my stomach as a pastor, that amazing people are being deceived. And a lot of those people that are being deceived are in our families. And you know what we do as Christians? We pretend like we don't see it. We keep our fingers crossed and hope that somewhere along the line in their life, they got the accurate gospel message and they responded to it. Is that really the way you want to treat your family members? I have another cousin that I really love. And when I was a kid, we got together infrequently, but we always really enjoyed when we got together. And uh, we played board games and we just had a lot of fun. And I called her this week because I had taught that lesson last week on Roman Catholicism. I just called her to check in because I know she's Roman Catholic. And so I called her out of the blue because we don't talk a lot. We usually talk at funerals because that's when we see each other. And so, but whenever we see each other, the hug is, you know, hugs are supposed to be seven seconds. But our hugs are about 20 minutes. I mean, it's just big hugs because we really love each other a lot. And it's, it's a shame that, she said, it's a shame that as adults we haven't kept in touch and done things together, which I think I can correct. So anyway, I called her and I asked her, uh, 
how is it that you think you get to heaven? And you could tell that she was completely caught off guard by this because she was really hesitant. So she said, well, what we've been taught is, and she cited Romans 10, 9 and 10, which is, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, then we're saved. That's the short version of it. You can look it up yourself. But I said, well, that's accurate. And I said, do you think you can lose your salvation? And she said, yeah, if you have a mortal sin on your soul. I said, okay, that's the Roman Catholic crap. So I sent her the lesson that I taught last week. I asked her to listen to it, and I asked her to talk. And I said, the reason I'm doing this is because I would be totally bothered by it if you were confused about what it takes to get to heaven, then I'm a pastor, and I would also be disappointed if you weren't in heaven with me for all eternity. Because maybe we didn't get together here on earth, but we certainly have the opportunity to be together for all eternity. And so she's going to listen to it, or else, and, uh, <laughs> and then we're going to see what happens. Look, do yourself a favor. Watch the God Makers on YouTube. Better read the book because it's much more detailed. You get to see this guy's trip up to the top of Mormonism. It will blow your mind. Well, I was going to add Pentecostalism to the list of religions I wanted to tell you about in honor of former Pentecostal Denise Jones and former Pentecostal church attender Gene Murphy. But unfortunately, sorting through 7,000 different branches of Pentecostalism exhausted me. And Denise and I were talking about it yesterday. And, you know, she started poking into Pentecostalism with the three questions. And uh, how did you describe it? You felt lazy afterward? <laughs> she got tired because there's so much stuff. But the thing I noticed about it is that you know, there's some similarities. Here's who Jesus Christ is. You read through that, and you'll say, yeah, that's correct. And you, you read through the part, the Word of God, and you'd say, yeah, that's correct. And then the left turn. And the left turn is that the whole center of Pentecostalism is that Christianity has to be experienced through the emotions. And so what's a centerpiece of Pentecostalism is uh, speaking in tongues. And we had a person come to our church one time who had come out of a church where they were speaking in tongues. And so she was asking me, do you guys speak in tongues? And I said, well, no, we don't. And uh, I told her that speaking in tongues was not a valid, uh, was no longer a valid spiritual gift and of course she looked at me like I was a Martian and she doubted what I was saying so I took her right to the Bible took her, took her to Acts chapter 2 and here's what it says about tongues it says that when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles speaking in tongues was they spoke in their language which was Hebrew and all the people who didn't speak the same language as them heard them in their own language. So it would be like this, that I speak English to a group who only speaks Spanish, and they hear me in Spanish. 
But the key about speaking in tongues is that when somebody speaks to you in tongues, it should be intelligible to you and it should make sense. And it would not be a bap da 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 bap da 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 And that's supposed to be some secret code. So that's what you'll see typically when you go into a Pentecostal church, that you'll see them raising their hands. They'll be walking up onto the altar with their Bibles. They'll be uh, what they call tarrying in the spirit. And they say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then the bap, the bap, the bap, the bap. And that's supposed to elicit this speaking in tongues. It's absolute nonsense. Yet thousands and thousands and thousands of people are captivated by that. Because they want to feel Jesus instead of knowing Jesus. So if you're a part of a religion, check its doctrines and compare them to the Bible. There's nothing worse than being deceived, and your eternal future depends on it. And the one thing that I would have you know as a pastor is I am deeply concerned for the salvation of the people around me. And, and what I want you, who are part of Barah Ministries, to be is deeply concerned for the salvation of those around you, so much so that you're willing to badger them, and not just verbally, but you're, wa you're willing to show them, take them to places over and over and over again that expose them to the accurate gospel message. And if that accurate gospel message indicts them, if it makes them uncomfortable, then you've done your job. Because there's nothing worse than deception because deception makes you comfortable. When you buy a deception, you get comfortable with the deception. And when you get comfortable with deception, you get comfortable more and more about being lied to in every area. Not okay. And that's not what I would want for you. That's not what any member of the Godhead wants for you. What the members of the Godhead want for you is that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the 10 most important minutes of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life, a decision for or against a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, imagine the perfect parent, a parent who wants to provide for you and a parent who wants to protect you and a parent who wants to lead you to a path that benefits you forever. Here's what such a parent might say to his child. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Then the Lord God took the first man, Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Garden of Eden was a perfect place with perfect provision. Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Genesis 2.17 But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. 
first spiritually and then physically. Spiritual death always leads to physical death. The Hebrew is dying, die. Eve was not around when the Lord told Adam this. She was not created yet. Our divine parent was really concerned about Adam's well-being, so he informed Adam about two paths. The Lord God told Adam, if you take the path that I'm recommending, things will work out for you. If you take the other path, things won't work out for you. He left the decision concerning which path to take up to Adam. Well, today's gospel message lays two paths before you as well and offers you the same choice. Adam didn't listen to the Lord. He listened to his wife. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 say this, When Esha, that was her name before salvation, when Esha, Eve, saw that the forbidden tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, and what she was doing was listening to a lie from Satan, the enemy of God, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave the fruit to her husband Adam, who was there with her, and he ate. Adam listened to his wife instead of listening to God. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and in embarrassment they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. This is the fall of man. And when Adam pursued the wrong path, his mistake was credited to you and to all of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and spiritual death entered the world through Adam's sin, so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. The federal head of the human race infected the entire human race with his error. That's not your fault but it is your circumstance. You were born on the wrong team. Because of Adam's sin, credited to you, God considers you to be a sinner from birth. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead. You were born in sin. Sin is a debt that you can never repay. Sin created a broken relationship with God that you can't mend. And fortunately, God the Father overlooked the broken relationship and decided to send his son to fix the sin problem that you couldn't possibly fix. What a perfect parent. What an obedient son. What an amazing gift. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this. Jesus Christ himself voluntarily bore the penalty for our sins in his own body on the cross, enduring the wrath of God the Father to pay for our sins, so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And what does it mean to be healed? It means to be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ died so that you could be saved. The Lord's plan was to leave heaven to take on the form of a man as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh as Jesus, the Christ, and lived among us. And we saw his glory. This is John 
the author of John, saying, we, meaning all the apostles, saw his glory with our own eyes, the glory of the only begotten one from God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Voluntarily, Jesus Christ was humiliated, falsely accused, beaten beyond recognition, and subjected to crucifixion, the worst death in human history, as if he were a criminal. Why? All for the privilege of paying in full for every sin you would ever commit, past, present, and future, to restore the opportunity for you to have a relationship with God. He called the cross the joy set before him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 say this, I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you, believers in Christ, as of primary importance, the gospel message that I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures. Paul passed along the exact words, the exact thinking of God when he passed along the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. And that Jesus was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord's plan was to make a full and effective payment for your sin debt. And he did it. Tetelestai, he said on the cross. It is finished. Your debt for sin is paid in full. Therefore, right where you sit right now, you can make the most important decision of your life at a single moment in time with a result that lasts forever, a decision that will affect you for all eternity. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believe. Remember the two paths? You can take the path that allows you to spend eternity in heaven, or you can take the path that condemns you to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. John chapter 3, verse 36 is an invitation and a warning. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Many refuse to believe that the lake of fire is a literal place. The Bible proposes otherwise. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 26, Jesus tells a story. Luke 16, 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple, the color of royalty, and in fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Luke 16, 20. And a poor man, a beggar named Lazarus, was thrown at his gate, covered with ulcerated sores, skin cancer. Luke 16, 21. And Lazarus was longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. And dogs kept on coming and licking Lazarus's sores. Luke 16, 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom in paradise. Paradise was in Hades, an area under the ground that at that time was a holding pen for the Old Testament believers waiting for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the poor man died 
and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom into paradise. And the rich man also died and was buried in a tomb. And that's what happens to those who are unbelievers. They die and they're just buried. But they go to a compartment of Hades called torments. Luke 16.23 In Hades, the unseen world of the departed under the earth, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment in the lake of fire, and saw Abraham far away in paradise, and he saw Lazarus in his bosom. Luke 16.24 And the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame in the lake of fire. Luke 16.25 But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here in paradise, and you are in agony. In other words, The rich man didn't pay any attention to a spiritual life while he was on earth, rejected a relationship with Christ, and went to the lake of fire. But the poor man believed in Christ, and it was credited to his account as righteousness, and he was saved. Luke 16.26 And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. So imagine paradise on the left side and a great chasm, a big hole, and then on the right side, torments and Tartarus and the abyss where all the unbelievers go. And so, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over here over from here to you will not be able. In other words, I can't send Lazarus over there because of the chasm fixed. And that none of you may cross over from there to us. You can't come from torments into paradise. Well, the lake of fire is a place of eternal torment, reserved for and requested by everyone who rejects a relationship with the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a part of you that always wants to resist what's good for you, just like Adam. There's a part of you that always wants to reject what God says is true. Well, the Lord doesn't want that for you. He wants a relationship with you. And if you agree to it, he will be in union with you. He will live inside of you. And he will be wherever he, you will be wherever he is forever and ever, both in this life and in the life to come. All he requests is that you believe what he says is true. John chapter 6, verse 37. The Lord says this. He says, The ones who come to me to believe in me, I will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness in the lake of fire. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Take the easy path, the path to heaven. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. Do it now. Well, let's close with music. When the confusion of religion has you doubting your relationship with God, Hillary Scott says, come to Jesus and live.
it on now? Okay, so I'll start over. So uh, I was just given an update on Pastor Robert McLaughlin. So he is, he has liver cancer, terminal liver cancer, and he is going into hospice care. And um, I was just telling a story about a time when I was teaching in my consulting career in Boston. And whenever I was out in Boston, I always took it as an opportunity to get over to Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Massachusetts, which is about an hour and a half away. Unfortunate thing is you have to drive in Boston traffic to get there. But uh, So I got there. I left uh, the place where I was teaching at about 530 and I got to the church at 745. The traffic was awful, and it was snowy, and I didn't think I was going to get there in time. And so I ran in at 745 for an 8 o'clock service, and I had just sat down and settled down. And he saw me, and he came over and shook my hand. And he wouldn't let my hand go. So if you've ever had one of those handshakes where the person just keeps shaking your hand, and they don't let your hand go, and he just kept shaking my hand. He said, hey, I, you know, I taught in Tucson last week, and I thought you were going to come down. And I said, well, I was going to come down, but I had a job out of town, and so I couldn't make it. And he was just keep shaking my hand. And he said, yeah, you know why I wanted you to come down? And I said, no, I don't have the slightest idea other than to see your magnificence as a teacher, sir. And he said, no, I actually wanted you to teach. And he just keep shaking my hand. And I said, well, that's cool. I'd like to do, do that sometime. And he said, how about now? I said, what do you mean? He said, what did I stutter? He said, I want, what I want you to do is I want you to go up and teach right now. And I said, okay. I said, do you have a place where I can print some notes? And so I gave him a file and printed some notes. And... I went up and taught. And I remember specifically that at that moment, my mind went completely blank, and all I could see was white. And you know, sometimes when your mind goes blank, all you can see is black, but all I could see was white. And so I got up and taught for an hour on um, the He Cares for You verse in, in the Bible. And I got a standing ovation at the end of it. And that was the beginning of my ordination process. And so Pastor McLaughlin was really instrumental in helping me get the knowledge that I needed to be a pastor and to get ordained. And to be put under some pretty rigorous um, criteria, 150-question tests that took me about five weeks to complete, and uh, examination by seven pastors, and examination by a group of about 250 people, and he orchestrated all that. So he means a lot to me as a person, and unfortunately, if this is the end of his tour here on earth, we know we'll see him in heaven, because the one thing systematic theology gets right is faith alone and Christ alone. And so I'm counting on that. So please keep him and his family in your prayers. Let's close in prayer. Let us pray.
Almighty God and Father, thank you for making us aware of how to identify falsehood. Thank you for protecting us from lies. Thank you for God the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of unbelievers and leads them to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. As we go back into the world, help us to lead everyone we know to a right relationship with you so that they can be saved. Give us the courage, especially, to lead our family members out of this mess. And prayers, please, and blessings, please, for Pastor Robert McLaughlin and his family as they go through a very difficult time, that time when we all, that we all will go through where we face our own mortality. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll be discussing the lesson and have our prayer circle right after this in five minutes. Join us live or on Zoom immediately following the lesson. If you've got biblical questions, ask the pastor, pastor at barahministries.com. Keep on studying the word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.